Welcome to the Kingdom at Hand. I am Pastor Joe Faldeth. Today's sermon is entitled Ungodly Rule. We're going to be looking at Judges 9 verses 1 through 21. We're going to be looking at how ungodly people become rulers and what godly rule actually looks like. Our sermon today is going to be taken from Judges 9 verses 1 through 21. And I read in Jesus' name. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerobbaal, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerobbaal rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, He is our brother. And they gave him seventy pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-bareth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal, seventy men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left, for he hid himself, and all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar of Shechem. When it was told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance, by which gods and men are honored, and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, You, come reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the vine, You, come reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You, come reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not... Let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubbaal and his house, and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have raised up against my father's house this day and have killed his son, seventy men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative. If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubbaal and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. Let us pray. Father, as we come to study your word, we thank you for this. We thank you for how it applies to our lives, what we can learn from it. I ask that you would grant us wisdom and grace, Lord, to apply these truths in our lives to help us to see this world in which we live. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we get another discussion today about leadership uh, and our sermon today is entitled Ungodly Rule, and we're looking at what 
what ungodly leadership looks like. And I think this is very applicable nowadays because not necessarily that our leaders are so ungodly as opposed to all leaders all throughout time, but rather this is one of those truths that we're starting to wake up to is the fact that leaders are ungodly. Um, not to have leadership, not leadership as a rule being ungodly, but that ungodly people seem to rise into leadership positions. And, and that, that concerns me for our culture, that concerns me for our nation and the nations around us, because I see this happening in the nations around us. And as we get into this, you, hopefully you'll understand why that concerns me, because ungodly leadership is a bad sign. Um, first off, how, how do we pick leaders? Because as, as we look at Abimelech, why did he end up being a leader? Now, Abimelech doesn't necessarily have any, any great character qualities. He doesn't have any um, strong character traits. Rather, the reason that he got to be a leader, the reason that he got to be in charge was because he knew the right people. And that was, that was it. And the foundation of Abimelech's rule was really nepotism. And this is the foundation oftentimes of much ungodly rule is nepotism. And nepotism is leadership based upon birthright. Because what is my relative? What is my relation? What is the fact that I'm a fall debt? Why would that give me any right of rule? Why would that give me any place? Why did the fact that Abimelech get rule, why did, why did that happen? Because he was their brother. He spoke to his mother's relatives. He was their brother. And him being their brother was the reason that they wanted him to rule. And now that's an immutable character trait. That this, that's, it's something that doesn't change. He will always be a person of Shechem. He always has been a person of Shechem. He always has been their relative. He hasn't proven himself. He hasn't demonstrated his worth. He hasn't demonstrated leadership characteristics, leadership capabilities. The reason that he became a leader was because of nepotism, was because of an immutable and unchanging character trait. He was of their people. And they said, well, it's good enough for us. And that's terrifying. You know, and I hear people talk about this. I hear people talk about this in America right now as they're looking at presidential candidates or as they're looking at um, Senate and representative candidates, whether that be in state level or that be in federal level. And they're saying, well, I don't like this person, but they're a Democrat. Or I don't like this person, but at least they're a Republican. And what, what does that mean? That you're voting for someone that you dislike simply because of the label that's stamped onto them? That label doesn't really mean anything when it comes to their actual character. That doesn't mean anything when it comes to their actual like, ideological affiliation. That's just the party that they picked. And so red versus blue, libertarian, green, whatever. You know, why are... Why are these people our leaders? And that's the first question we ask. What gives this person the characteristics, the qualities of leadership that we want, that we need, that we think ought to be there? 
Second thing is that Abimelech was astroturfed. Now, this is a fairly new term, um, but I really like it. And so Abimelech was astroturfed, meaning that it looked like he had a lot of followers, like he had a lot of grassroots support, but it's all fake. It's all fake. And so as, as Abimelech goes into this, we see that he goes to the leader, well, he goes to his family, first off. And he has his family, his mother's relatives, verse 3. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem. And their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. And so what did they do? They gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Bareth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal. And so where did, all of his leader, where did all of his followers come from? Did he have this great grassroots following of all of the people of Shechem and Bethnilo? No, he had his relatives, he had the leadership, and then he had losers. He had worthless fellows that he hired to follow him. And so the amount of followers that someone has doesn't necessarily mean they're a good leader. Just because people listen to them doesn't mean they're a good leader. Like, that's not a characteristic of leadership. Now, Watchman Nee, who was a Chinese church planter, said, it's easy to find leaders. Just look for those who have people following them. And that's one of the things that I've often um, taken to heart as I train people who lead or as I follow people or I listen to people. Like, do they have any leaders? Is this guy just a one-off? Uh but nevertheless, the fact that they have, or do they have followers, nevertheless, if they do have followers, that doesn't always mean that they're good leaders. They might just be giving something superficial to the people behind them. And that's something that we have to take care of because this happens in churches and this happens in politics. In churches, sometimes pastors become pastors or they maintain pastors because they, they tickle the ears of the people who follow them. That doesn't mean they're a good pastor. You know, I think about some of the megachurches that exist within America itself, but I also think then of some of the megachurches that exist in other nations and how they're just preaching health and wealth. They're preaching that if you follow Jesus, that everything will go well for you. They're preaching some magic that if you say the right words, or you do the right thing, then you can make God happy with you. That's illegalism at its heart. That's, it's called health and wealth. It's prosperity gospel. It's a terrifying thing because it's not biblical at all. But these people will get lots of followers. It doesn't mean that these are good followers. These are really worthless people. And so just because someone has lots of followers, whether that be a pastor, whether that be a politician, promising this or promising that to their followers, that doesn't make them a good leader. That's what Abimelech did. He paid his followers. He astroturfed. And so also then you get political leaders saying, hey, you vote for me and I will give you this. What are they doing? They're paying their followers. That's astroturfing. That sort of followership goes away once the leader stops being able to deliver. And so you don't just look at the followers right now. You look at the long-term status of those followers. Do they keep with it or do they burn out and have to get renewed? Burn out and have to get renewed? Burn out or have to get renewed? I know of a, a pastor that was 
good pastor everywhere he went. His churches grew, but then shortly after he left, the churches crumbled. They just shrank. They imploded. Well, he was exciting. That was about it. He didn't build that depth underneath. And so that's what's happening with Abimelech. That's a bad leader. Abimelech is just this, he has all of these terrible leadership traits. He also hates competition. He can't stand competition. And this is a sign of a bad leader. A bad leader can't stand competition. They don't want someone competing with them. And I will admit there's been times in my life that I've been a bad leader because I've hated competition. But ultimately what that competition has done for me, and I'm not saying that I'm a good leader, but what that competition has done for me is it's made me a better person. It's made me a better pastor. And so now I rejoice in it. So it's changed. Because I, I want to see churches grow. I've had to change my focus too. I want to see churches grow and prosper. I want to see the kingdom of God come. But competition means that I might not be the best. I might not have this by right. I might not have this by me. And so when, when we see someone remove competition like Abimelech did, he killed all of his brothers except for one. So he killed 70 men on one stone. So he killed all of his brothers except for one. What's he doing? He's removing all competition for the throne. And when you remove all competition, all that says is, you don't believe in yourself. You don't think that you're qualified for this in all reality. And so when we see censorship happening, when we see politicians shout, shutting other people out, they're shouting them down. When you see pastors do that, when they, when they remove all competition from their parishioners, when they're unwilling to listen and unwilling to be challenged, because that's a challenge. If someone challenges you, they're really being in competition intellectually or in leadership qualities or characteristics or traits. And so if you're challenged as a leader, or if someone's challenged as a leader, and all of a sudden they react defensively, and they shut you down or they shout someone down. That's a sign of a bad leader because a bad leader doesn't believe in themselves. A bad leader that can't stand competition. And so if you look at our political systems nowadays and you watch your pastor, ask that question. What do they do when they're challenged? Do they take up the challenge? Or do they just react defensively? And I'm not just talking, and so politicians, we can pick on politicians, but watch this in the news media too. Because the news media is striving to be leaders of this people. They're trying to be thought leaders. What happens when they're challenged? What happens when CNN gets challenged? What happens when Fox gets challenged? What happens when these anchors get challenged, these pundits, these talking heads? What happens when someone really challenges them? If they can't handle the challenge, they don't deserve your ear. They don't deserve it. Bimelech killed all of his brothers because he couldn't handle the challenge, couldn't handle the competition. So he's not someone that should have been followed because he's, the only reason he's there is because of nepotism. And then he astroturfed the followers, got enough followers so that he could do what he wanted to do. And then he killed all of his competition. Just like in the Soviet Union. You know, the Soviet Union, it was a democracy. Everyone could vote, but there's only one choice. <laughs> so you got to vote. You shouldn't have any options. 
kind of, well, whatever. It's what I feel like when I'm watching the news. Get a vote if I don't have any options. So what's next? What, what, is, what does godly rule look like? And so then we get this interesting parable. You know, we get this parable about how, how do you pick rulers? You know, the trees want a ruler. Okay, well, that's weird, but we'll just accept that for right now. Why would trees need a ruler? But what's the first ruler they come to? What's the first one they come to? What are the first three? We'll just look at the first three. We'll put them in an aggregate. We'll put them all together because the first one is, um, is the olive tree. The second one is the fig tree. And the third one is the vine. And I suppose there's probably symbolism within that uh, that could be interpreted out and applied into people's lives. But I, I'm not comfortable enough with that right now to, to go into that because that's, I feel like that's just speculation. But what are they doing? They are looking for gifted trees. So the trees are looking for those who are gifted. And the first one being the olive tree, they have a gift. The second one being the fig tree, it has a gift. The third one being the vine, it has a gift. These three trees are gifted trees. And so when we look for leadership, oftentimes we look to gifted people. We think, well, this person is good at this thing, and so then we should have them as our leader. This person is good at this thing, so then we should have them as our leader. But there's a problem with that, because just because the olive tree is gifted with olives, is able to produce olives, is able to produce oil, does that mean that it has any idea as to how a vine should work? No. Just because the fig tree gives really sweet fruit, does that mean that it knows how to make the olive tree function better? No. What does the fig tree really have in common with the bramble? What does the fig tree have in common with the cedars of Lebanon? What does the vine have in common with the olive tree or the cedars of Lebanon or the bramble? What, where do these characteristics and these qualities, how do they transfer over? They don't. Just because someone's gifted in one area doesn't make them good leader. Doesn't mean that they should be leader over everybody. Just because they have one gift, one ability, one talent doesn't mean that they have they should have leadership over everybody. And so the first three reasonably and intelligently said, no, we have to take hold of our responsibilities. And I think this is the foundation of good leadership. Good leadership means everybody is taking their, up their own responsibilities. And so the olive tree, should it be leading other people, telling other people what to do? No. It should be producing olives. It should be striving to compete with itself. It should be striving to do the best with what it's been given. So also the fig tree, it should be striving to make the best figs. It should be striving to produce those, to bless the people that come from them, to bless everybody else. And note that those who are gifted, they're not gifted for themselves. The olive tree, the fig tree, and the vine aren't gifted for themselves. They're using their gifts for others. They're using their gifts to be a blessing. And this is where we are called as Christians. Because within, the Christ, within Christianity, we're called a body. And Christians being a body means that we have different parts. Like my fingers aren't mad at my heels. My fingers don't rule my heel. Like because my fingers can't do what my heel does. My heel can absorb a lot of pressure. Whereas if I put that sort of pressure on one of my fingers, it would break. 
you know, and my elbow doesn't talk to my ear and tell my ear how to do its job. Why? Because they're made for different things. And so also in the body. I'm called to be a pastor, meaning I'm called to be an overseer. But that doesn't mean that I tell farmers how to farm. Nor does that mean that I tell an evangelist how to evangelize. No, I'm also, I teach. Some people say I'm gifted in teaching. So then I can teach other teachers how to teach. I say that? I say that right? Yeah. I can teach other teachers how to teach. But that doesn't mean that I know how to teach a missionary how to do his work. <coughs> it doesn't mean that I can teach a prophet how to do his work. I still don't know exactly what a prophet is. I, I haven't been able to, pick, to pin that down yet. You know, and so the, what's going on here? We as Christians are each and every one of us called to lead ourselves, to do the best with what we've been given for the sake of God and men, to be a blessing into this world. To, you know, that's fascinating, isn't it? So olive tree. Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored? Fig tree said, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? The vine I leave, shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Now, the fig tree didn't say it, but the, the olive tree and the vine both said it. They both said, who are we here for? We're here for God. We're here for people. That's what we're here for. And so as I work in the job that God has given me, or take my responsibility that God has given me, then I'm a blessing both to God and to men. And so we each are to those who have gifts in those places that you're gifted and all of you have gifts. Actually, I shouldn't even say those who have gifts. The gifts that you have been given, you are to use those for the sake of God and for men. Take the responsibility with those gifts. So what about the bramble? Well, the bramble is still doing what the bramble does because the bramble doesn't provide anything but shade. And so the bramble provides shade. And that's great. And so if you want to take shade under the bramble, go for it. The problem is you're not going to grow as well. If you just look for a leader to tell you what to do, you're not going to grow to the same degree that you would if you, didn't, if you took responsibility for the gifts that you've been given. Because the cedars of Lebanon underneath the bramble, they can only grow so high before they surpass the bramble. But the bramble says, hey, if you want to take shade under me, go for it. You want to follow me? Go for it. And so, to some degree, I see that as my role being overseer, but, well, kind of, not really. Because Abimelech's being compared to the bramble. A, a bramble was, well, it's not necessarily a short tree, you know, like a little bush. But rather, the bramble was fairly tall. It would be over a man's head. They would use them for hedges. That's uh, um, Hosea, the, the one who married, I'm forgetting the one who married the prostitute. And he prays that prayer where, you know, the hedge of thorns, we hear about this hedge of thorns. Well, a hedge of thorns was a high hedge. And that was the bramble bush, that hedge of thorns. And so as people could take shade under it, and it could be pruned to be of use to provide shade, but it only went up so high. And so if you want to reach your, your true capacity, you can't just take shade under it. But the bramble is happy to give you shade. But that shade is dangerous because fire can come out of the bramble 
Because a bramble can dry. And a bramble, that's a dense wood. Any thorn tree, any tree with thorns is a really dense wood. Note that all throughout the world. It's the same way. Any tree with thorns is a really dense wood. And the bramble, it's got small sticks. It's not the stick tree, but it's got these small twigs. And so when the bramble starts on fire, fire really comes. And so it's dangerous to take shade under a bramble tree, under a bramble bush. Why? Because you never know when the fire is going to come. And so if you're hiding under a leader, you're hiding behind that leader, it's a dangerous spot to be. Now the olive tree doesn't have to worry about the bramble. The vine doesn't have to worry about the bramble. The fig tree doesn't have to worry about the bramble because they're doing their thing. They're doing what God has called them to do. They're being responsible where God has called them to be responsible. But the one hiding under the bramble bush, the one hiding behind the leader, the one that's taking shade there instead of standing up on their own, that's the one that has to be careful. Because when that fire comes, they'll be burned. So take care who you follow. Take care who you follow. Take care who you listen to. Take responsibility where God has gifted you. That's what this means. And so should there be leaders? Well, yes and no. So here I'm just going to go off from the text. Should there be, where is there, is there a place for leadership? Well, the biblical place for leadership, um, you've got the gifts given to the church in Ephesus, um, or in the book of Ephesians, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And so with those four offices, you're going to have people that are gifted in those. And so where you fall into line there, but that those are giftings, not just for the sake of rule, rather those are giftings for the sake of work. And so these are people that are gifted to work in these manners. And so if you want to learn how to pastor, how to teach, you follow a pastor teacher. If you want to learn how to evangelize, you follow an evangelist. You want to learn how to profit, you follow a prophet. I, don't, I still don't know exactly what a prophet is. Um, if you want to follow, learn how to be a missionary, that's where the apostolic gift is given. Um, you want to learn how to do those things. You follow those people, but the purpose of following those people is for the sake of work. And so where does the overseer come in? The bishop that Paul talks about in 1 Timothy. Well, the overseer is just the one that makes sure that everything is interacting properly. It's like a gardener. So a gardener doesn't make the plants grow. It just makes sure that weeds aren't coming up. And it makes sure that things are where they ought to be so that they can best work. You don't put hostas out in the middle of the sun. You put them in the shade. But then you don't put your tomato plant by the hostas. Why? Because it's not going to grow. It needs full sun. And so that's the purpose of the overseer. It's to make sure that all of the body parts are where they ought to be so that they can grow to their greatest extent. And so is that a leader? Kind of, but not really. It's just the gardener, just the organizer. And so if you want to learn how to be a teacher, I can teach you that. You want to learn how to be an evangelist? That's not my gifting. That's the place where you talk to Edgar. That's the place where you talk to Art Ellingson. Now, these people are gifted in that manner. So what happens then? What happens when we're taking shade under the bramble? Well, danger comes because that fire becomes destructive. So it's really interesting then. As we're looking at this, um, if in good faith, and the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. 
But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Therefore, if you have acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king. And I want to stop right there. Good faith and integrity. What's he talking about? What is integrity? So we'll start there. What is integrity? Integrity means that you act consistently. Now, that doesn't mean that you act in the exact same way amongst everybody. You know, because I don't treat other people's children like I treat my children. Why? Is, is that a lack of integrity? Well, maybe it is. But also that I'm responsible for my children where I'm not responsible for other people's children. I don't take them home and feed them randomly. You know, I take my children home and feed them, but I don't just pick up a kid on the street and say, hey, you know, today I'm feeding you. Maybe we should. Yeah, no, that probably wouldn't be a good idea. So I don't do that. I don't, I don't yell at other kids when they're in the street. My children are young, and so, you know, we tell them, get off the street because they don't pay attention. It's a dangerous thing. Whereas other parents can be responsible for their children. But integrity means that I follow the rules that I set. You know, if I say, you shouldn't smoke, then I myself shouldn't smoke. If I say, you need to pay your taxes, then that means I should pay my taxes. If I say, you know what, you need to read your Bibles, that means that I need to be reading my Bible. You need to spend time in prayer, that means that I need to spend time in prayer too. I can't make a rule for you that I'm unwilling to follow. Because the morality that I lay down for you is the same morality that I ought to follow. That's the judge not lest you be judged. For by the measure which you judge others, you yourself will be judged. That's actually a discussion on integrity. Partly, there's other things going on there too. That's a discussion on integrity. And so, Good faith and integrity. What's good faith? We're being honest with you, Abimelech. We really want you to lead us. We really think you're a good leader. And so, why is good faith and integrity important? Because where there is life, well, there, where there's good faith and integrity, I don't know which one comes first. Where there's good faith and integrity, there's life. Where there's not good faith and integrity, there's death. Because ultimately, where there's not good faith and integrity, things are going to crumble and things are going to die. If I'm not living according to my integrity, all of my followers are going to be polluted, corrupted. All the people who look to me, they're going to be corrupted by my hypocrisy. So hypocrisy is the opposite of good faith and integrity. If I say, hey, I want you to lead me, but then I don't follow you, that's not good faith. If I say to people who are following after me, you know, to, to lie to their people as they learn how to teach. Well, that's, that's not integrity. You know, and so where there is a lack of integrity, things are already dying inside. It's not holding strong. It's not being renewed. Where there's a lack of good faith, that's happening. And so what happens when the bramble dies? So there are three things that are required for fire. Sorry to go off into like a simple physics. Three things that are required for fire. Fuel, heat, and air. So the bramble is a great bush for shade, but it's also a great bush for fire because it's got those dense twigs. It's got those really hard twigs. It's got lots of small twigs. And so when it dies, 
It's also got lots of space in between, like a big log. You're going to have to heat up that whole big log in order to start it burning. And it's constantly absorbing heat into the rest of the log. And that's why it's, you can't just you know, take a match and light a log. But you can take a match and light a twig. And so you've got this huge, because that, that twig that'll start on fire doesn't have to absorb as much heat. And it's got lots of air around it. And so you light that twig and there's lots of air inside of this bramble bush. And if there's no water in that bramble bush to tamp down the heat, because that's what a wet log does is it removes heat because you've got to heat up that water to drive it out and so it's absorbing the heat before it can burn the wood. And so if you have a dead bramble bush, so it's just a collection of dead twigs all wound together. Once that starts on fire, fuel, heat, and air, they're all there. This thing goes up. And so where there's not good faith and integrity, the whole thing perishes. And the interesting thing about that is that good faith and integrity has to start somewhere, but it, it can start somewhere. If that was in the people of Beth Milo and and Shechem, if they had good faith and integrity, if they were living according to integrity towards the sons of Jerubbaal, that would have been a blessing to Abimelech, and that would have driven him to be a godly, more of a godly man. And then he could have reinforced that amongst the people. Had Abimelech been acting in good faith and integrity, he could have been a blessing to the people and driven them into that, into that realm into good faith and integrity. Because good faith and integrity, that's life. That creates life within a system. And all it requires is one cog in that system to start exuding that good faith and integrity. And so if you're living in good faith and integrity, you're going to be a blessing to everything around you. But if you're not living in good faith and integrity, you're going to be a detriment to everything around you. And so both the blessing and the death can start at any point, which is interesting because these things reinforce each other. The, those who lead reinforce the followers. Those who follow reinforce the leadership. And so that's what makes culture. The people we look to for guidance, they're going to reinforce us. But who we are changes the people that we look to. So if I'm a person of good faith and integrity, I'm not going to follow someone who doesn't have good faith and integrity. And so if a church, we'll just pick on a church, if a church gets a bad pastor, whose problem is that? Whose fault is it that bad things happen down the road? Both. The church can't just blame the pastor because if the church is acting in good faith and integrity, either that pastor would be changed or that pastor would have to leave because he'd be constantly being challenged by the people acting in good faith and integrity. If a pastor gets a bad church, comes to a bad church and lives in good faith and integrity, one of two things will happen. Either that pastor will change the church. Well, three things. The church could change the pastor or the pastor will leave. Why? Because the pastor won't be able to maintain that status quo because you can't have one in good faith and integrity and one not in good faith and integrity. They will constantly be clashing against each other. Life and death don't exist within the same pool. One will overwhelm the other. There's that reinforcement, culture and leadership. 
There's that reinforcement. And so the fire is going to come up. If they're not acting in good faith and integrity, if they're not keeping this thing alive, then Jotham says, sorry, my brain said Japheth, but Jotham, the son of Jerubbaal says, fire is going to come out and it's going to destroy you. And it's not just going to destroy one. It's not going to just destroy Abimelech. It's not just going to destroy the president. It's not just going to destroy, you know, the Congress or the Senate or the House of Representatives. It's not going to just destroy that. It's not going to destroy just one. It's going to destroy everything. And this is why everybody needs to take care that we be walking in good faith and integrity, each of us individually and personally. Why? Because if we're not, everybody suffers. Everybody suffers, and that should scare us. And so in that, if we find in our lives that we're not walking in good faith and integrity, we need to repent. We need to ask God to forgive us. We need to start walking in good faith and integrity. We need to honor our leadership. Walk in good faith. We need to live according to the rules that we set. Walk in integrity. Trusting God to lead us and to guide us because that's the only good faith and integrity that really exists. And secondly, we need to be praying for our leaders. Praying that they would be changed. Or that they would be removed. Praying that God would do that. This is how we interact with this as Christians. Not just through civil disobedience, but through good faith and integrity. And then each and every one of us take up the responsibilities that God has given us. Because God has given us these things to be a blessing to both God and to men. The kingdom of God might come amongst men. That's how we best love God and that's how we best love men. So we take the responsibilities that God has given us and we glorify his name in all that we do because we love him and trust him. And where we find we fall short, we repent and say, God, forgive me. If we find we've been following bad leaders, we repent and say, God, forgive me. I need to step up. Don't just take shade under the bramble bush. Rather, embrace the gift that God has given you and use that for the sake of both God and men. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this parable and this story. It's just crazy how deep it is. We pray that you would bless us as we continue to meditate on these things and walk in these truths. Lord, that, that we might be blessed and that the people around us might be blessed and that your kingdom might come into us in greater ways, that we might learn to trust you better. Lord, and that others might learn to trust you as we trust you or as we walk in that integrity. Father, that your name might be glorified in all of this world. Lord, help us to live these things out. Lord, to absorb these truths and then to live them out. Lord, we thank you for giving them to us. Bless us. Guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.